We are eight weeks into a journey through every chapter of the book of Luke, one of the four biographies of Jesus in the New Testament. Because we're saving chapters one through three for Christmas, this morning we arrive at chapter 10. You may want to pull out your Bible in the pew rack and follow along as I read the, this morning's passage. Luke 10, 1 to 12. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse, a bag, or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, say first, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the workers deserve his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of, of your town that sticks to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, you've been reading along with the rest of the congregation. We may already know that Jesus, that Luke 10 includes two well-known passages, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we all know, and the story of Martha and Mary, which we also all know. As important as those two stories are, we're instead going to focus on a less familiar episode at the beginning of the chapter. It's about Jesus sending a really large group of his followers Luke tells us it's 72 people to travel ahead and fan out to every neighborhood he, in, he intended to visit. Amen. So the week ahead is a serious one for our nation. In just nine days, Americans are going to go to the polls for an election that is as divisive as it is substantial and significant. And we are doing this against the backdrop of a series of politically inspired bombings and the news of a terrible shooting in Pittsburgh at a synagogue yesterday morning. And as followers of Jesus, we Christians have a special responsibility to vote wisely, to make decisions that seek the flourishing and the shalom that God intends for our land and intends for all lands. It is a serious moment. And so it could be that feeling the sheer weight of this political moment, I subconsciously needed some kind of relief. And so I found it in a bit of political levity. Whatever the reason, as I pondered this passage that Forrest just read for us from Luke's 10th chapter, I found myself thinking about the Emmy Award comedy series Veep. Veep is in its seventh series, and it follows the bumbling and shallow vice president Selena Meyer. And a spoiler alert, in the fourth season, she becomes the bumbling and shallow president of the United States. This show is one of the reasons that last week, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was given the Kennedy Center's Mark Twain Prize for Humor. But it wasn't the title character 
that this passage from Luke triggered in my mind. It was two other characters on this show, two staffers on her vice presidential staff, chief of staff Amy Bruckheimer, she's played by Anna Klumsky, and deputy communications director Dan Egan, who's played by Reed Scott. Now, these two kind of have this tense frenemy relationship as together they negotiate all of the blunders and all of the awkward moments to which their boss seems to be prone. But specifically, the reason this came to mind as far as this passage goes is one particular duty to which the vice president often sends Dan and Amy. I'm talking about being part of an advance team. And an advanced team basically goes on before to some place that the vice president's going to show up. They scout out the venue, they test the microphones, and they warm up the crowd in advance of their boss. And if you think about these last few weeks and this coming week, there are literally thousands of advanced teams that campaigns are sending out to all sorts of locations in advance of their candidate. But I thought... To make this a little bit more concrete, it might help if I showed a video clip of Amy and Dan um, filling out this role as being on an advance team. And it's actually a rather challenging thing to do because the language in this show is a bit salty. But I found one. In this clip, the vice president has sent Amy and Dan on a photo op at an elementary school. Alas, there's a gas main break that snarls traffic and means that the vice presidential limousine stuck in traffic for an hour, and so Dan and Amy have to improvise for an excruciating hour. As you watch this, I want you to imagine yourself being part of an advance team. What would it be like? All right, so I ask you to imagine what it would be like being part of an advance team, but that's actually a bit of a trick question. And here's why. I'm convinced that the real point of the passage that Forrest just read, this passage about these 72 unnamed people, is that you already are part of an advance team just by being a follower of Jesus. Let me tell you my logic here. First, on the level of Luke's biography, just thinking about Jesus' historical earthly ministry, I think that advanced team is a pretty good term for these people that Jesus sends on ahead. Don't you think? Okay, advanced team. Sends them out two by two into every town and village and neighborhood and cul-de-sac that Jesus intends to visit in the next few days or weeks, maybe even months. And he sends them there to essentially prime the pump, to raise the expectation level and the curiosity and the anticipation before Jesus shows up there in that neighborhood. And what Luke is telling us is that this advanced team approach is a key strategy that Jesus used on this mission God sent him on of releasing captives that we've been talking about. Releasing those who are captive, those who are in bondage. Bringing hope to those who are hopeless. Healing to those who are captive to disease. Um, forgiveness to those who are shackled by sin. So at one level, this is a story about those particular 72 followers of Jesus who are sent on an advance team. But... 
But I'm convinced that the reason that Luke puts this in his book in the first place and the reason that he tells the story the way he does is that ultimately Luke intends this to be a story about you and me. And there are two big clues that I see here in the text. The first is just how anonymous these 72 followers of Jesus are. Luke does not give us one of their names. So in a sense, these are 72 nobodies. Put this in another way. These are not the 12 disciples whose names we know. In fact, the 12 disciples were sent on a beta test of this advanced team strategy in chapter 9, if you've been following along. These are not even the important woman disciples who Luke tells us about back in chapter 8. These are 72 average Joes and average Janes. Luke leaves us as the reader to speculate what sorts of people were among these 72. Maybe there were some plumbers or some housewives or college kids or widows or new empty nesters. And because Luke doesn't give us any of their names, he makes it all that more easy for us to imagine ourselves among them. There's a second clue And it has to do with this rather odd number 72. Why did he send 72 people? Why did Luke record that number? Why didn't he say just a whole bunch? Well, most New Testament scholars are convinced that the reason that Jesus sent 72 is because it happens to be the exact number of the ethnicities in the known world according to a passage way back in Genesis 10. These are the three sons of Noah and how they populate the whole world. As they populate the world, all the various nations and tribes just happens to be that there are 72 of them. Well, if that is the case, then something is happening here that's a whole lot bigger than just these 36 pairs of advanced team members that Jesus happens to send out that one particular day. Instead, Jesus means this as a foretaste of something that he's going to tell the disciples at the beginning of his second book, in the book of Acts, in Acts 1.8, when he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here, Jesus is saying this, this advanced team strategy is how I intend to do that. This is how I intend to enter the lives of all of those people. How I intend to rescue all of those people. To connect all those people to a life-giving relationship with me in every one of those 72 diverse, far-flung nations of the earth. And that's why I think that Luke intends this to really be a story about us nobodies. And the assignment that Jesus gives us to serve on his advanced team wherever in that world we find ourselves in this coming week. Well, and if that's the case, then there is some delightful wordplay that Jesus does right here. Now, you're probably familiar, you've probably heard it before, this prayer that Jesus suggests about the harvest. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. 
And if you're like me, you hear that prayer and you pray it and you said, oh, yes, Lord, please, please find someone to send. We beg you because there's all this opportunity, there's all this potential, but boy, that is a specialized role to be the worker in the harvest. And we heard last week about the would-be disciples, and so we know the bar is pretty high. And so you find yourself praying that God would send someone else. But did you notice the very next word that Jesus utters? It is the word go. In Greek, Greek it is hupagate. It is sort of a sly gotcha that Jesus springs right here. So he's addressing these 72 nobodies that, like I say, represent all the people of the earth and because of that represent us. And he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And then he immediately says, guess what? That's you. So go, which means if you have ever prayed this prayer, it's in Matthew's gospel too, if you've ever prayed it, then at least part of the answer to your prayer is staring at you in the mirror. It's you, Jesus says, go. That's why I'm convinced that if you are a follower of Jesus at any time, in any place, then at least one of your significant assignments as a disciple is to be a part of Jesus' advance team. This team that he sends ahead, sends into every place that he intends to go to show up first and to prepare the way. Luke tells us that Jesus sent these 72 into every town and place that Jesus intended to go. Well, you know what? All those places that you spend your days, you might not think of them this way, but they too are places that Jesus has every intention of going. Filled with people, Jesus has every intention of encountering. In every one of your lives, there are, in fact, eight specific places to which I'm convinced Jesus is sending you on his advance team. This slide might look familiar to some of you if you were here two years ago, fall of 2016. We did a worship series we call The Art of Neighboring. And what we did is we spent six weeks thinking carefully about the eight households that are in closest proximity to ours. Our eight contiguous neighbors, however you would define the closest proximity. And we had a pretty modest goal over those six weeks. The goal was to simply learn the names of the people whom God has put in those eight households closest to you. Well, this particular passage was not part of that worship series. But thinking retrospectively, it sure could have been. Because I'm convinced that the place where all of us begin to learn what it means to serve on an advanced team. Maybe even the most important place that Jesus sends us is in the neighborhood, in the cul-de-sac, in the street in which Jesus has put each one of us. Because whether you know it or not, you are on Jesus' advanced team in their lives. Jesus has sent you there to prepare that neighbor in some way, in all sorts of different ways, but in some way to meet Jesus. And unless we're convinced that Jesus is finished with his mission, then he intends to show up there too and connect them 
with a life-giving relationship with him. And so, because being on an advanced team is an assignment that Jesus gives to every disciple, then he sets up this training seminar, this advanced team training seminar right there with these 72 followers. And if, as I've suggested, this is our assignment too, then we should perhaps eavesdrop on what he tells them. If we do, I think we hear three important things that we could apply to our own advanced team assignment with our neighbors next door. They are to build community, to have compassion, and to practice confidence. Let's take those one at a time. First, community. This has to do with the sort of relationship Jesus wants those people on the advance team to forge with the people they encounter when they show up in those neighborhoods. It's the relationship, in fact, that is going to inevitably result if, as he tells them, they don't take a purse, don't take an extra backpack, don't even take a second pair of sandals. What Jesus apparently intends by giving these instructions is that they would show up in town and immediately experience, to a certain extent, dependence on their host, dependence on these new friends that they are going to make. And that guarantees that these relationships are not going to be one-sided. They are going to be reciprocal. I mean, these 72 people might be showing up in that village or in that neighborhood with the best good news that has ever been told on earth, but if they want to eat, it's going to be by the generosity of the new friends that they make. And that means that these are going to be relationships that are marked by mutual give and take, by mutual caring, by mutual respect, not by paternalism or by superiority Put it another way, these will be genuine, authentic human relationships. And this is reinforced by the instructions that Jesus gives about the meals. I mean, think about it. Here he is telling 72 presumably Jewish followers that when they get there at those homes in Samaria and in the Gentile lands, if they have to, they can punt the whole kosher thing. Think about it. A pious Jew of that era would not even enter a Gentile's home. But Jesus says, no, show up, make yourself at home, and dig into the pork chops. In all of those encounters that they're going to have, in other words, Jesus is telling them that the most important thing they're doing, even above all of their ritual obligations of the faith, the most important thing is to create community. Eat together. Break the ice. Don't make them feel unworthy. Don't make them feel unholy. Don't lecture them about theology. Don't manipulate them to believe in me. Just enter their world. Be friends with them around the dinner table. And that's why in our Art of Neighboring series two years ago, the most important first step we have was to simply learn your neighbor's names. So the second element of this advanced team training workshop, training seminar that Jesus is putting on is training them to begin to see those people the way he, Jesus, does with deep compassion. It's just one line, but it's really significant. When you get there, he says, heal the sick who are there. 
And at first, we marvel that Jesus has given them this power, and apparently he has, because later in the chapter, they come back and they have healed people. But I think maybe as important as the power is that Jesus is giving them the heart. He's giving them his heart of compassion, his attention that he gives to people's true and deepest pain. Well, I think Jesus is training us in those relationships that we have, those relationships with those eight nearby households, to also be open and attentive and ready to hear about the pain in their lives because it is there with everyone that we will encounter. It is there at some level. And they likely won't share it with you at first until they know that you're safe, until they know that you care, but eventually they will. And then when that happens, Jesus has begun to use you as part of their healing. All right, so Jesus trains these 72 to create community. He trains them to listen with compassion, but there's one last thing that he tells them before he sends them off into all of these neighborhoods and villages, and it's kind of remarkable. He says, wherever you go, you're going to discover the kingdom of God already there. So you can walk into this town, into this neighborhood with confidence, Jesus tells them. You're not going confident in your own skills as a member of an advanced team. You are going confident because when you get there, God has already been at work in that place and in the hearts of those people. And so it's interesting. Jesus is really not telling them so much to go and teach or to go and proselytize. Instead, it's go and discover Go and discover God already at work and join God in what he's doing. And that's what this whole thing about the person of peace is all about, if that was confusing. He's saying, you're going to get there, and there's going to be people in whose heart I have already been at work. And when they hear what you're talking about, they are going to respond not with suspicion, but with sort of a deep sense of recognition and delight because you're the one that they have been waiting for to connect all the dots and to close all the loops. Our Good Neighbor team is our intentional missional community that has been on a journey of discovering um, in the discovery in the work of settling a Muslim refugee couple from Pakistan, and you've heard of their work over these last two years. Well, one of the things that they decided to do as they set out, and part of being a missional community, is to expectantly watch for those people of peace who they're going to discover on the way as they're doing this work. Last July, I had the opportunity to attend a cookout that they had. It was sort of them kind of taking stock of the whole experience and where they've been. It was at one of the team members' homes. And I got to hear them tell their stories of these people of peace. All of these people that they met in the, in the, the enormous amount of work that they've done in this process, but people that they met maybe at a social service agency or at a doctor's office or at a school who when they heard the story of what our good neighbor team was doing, they responded with delight and with curiosity, and it started all these really significant conversations. Well, whether it is the good neighbor team or the dinner table at one of those eight neighbors' homes, confidence 
that God is already there at work changes everything. It means that we can carry out this assignment of being on an advanced team, not with anxiety, but with curiosity as we discover how God's already been at work in these people's lives. That's even the case if the evidence for that isn't obvious because Jesus does allow for the possibility that they won't be welcomed at these particular homes. And what he's saying essentially is, don't worry, that is God's problem, not yours. And he gives them this fascinating phrase. Jesus says, whatever happens, whether they welcome you or whether they don't welcome you, be sure of this, even there, the kingdom of God has come near. Even there, God is at work. Because Jesus is still on the mission that Luke tells us about throughout his book. This mission to release all who find themselves captives. Because he's still on that mission, Jesus is still on the way. He's still on the way to every town and every place and every home. And yes, he is still on the way to those eight households closest to yours. And that is why Jesus sends us on the same assignment on which he sent these 72. To go before him as his advance team. And by creating community, having compassion, and living in confidence to do our best to prepare the way for his arrival. Amen. Amen.